How's it, guys? You're listening to SASurfski.com. We're all about surfski, we're all about paddling, and your host, Robin Tyndall, is coming in hot, straight out of Cape Town. So I'm sitting here with uh, Mac Bowman. Welcome to SASurfski.com, and I'm hell of a privilege and I've really been looking forward to chatting, chatting to Mac Bowman. He's sitting with us today. Uh, when I put the uh, word out to the community that I'm chatting with Matt, Matt Bowman, one of the questions that came up was uh, to ask him if he owns any shirts. So that was quite funny. And the bizarre thing is I'm sitting with Matt right now. I'm watching him on video. You can't see him on video. And guess what? The man's not wearing a shirt. So I think that answers the question, guys. No, I don't think Matt Bowman owns a shirt. But Matt, welcome. I get you're sitting in Durban. The aircon's running. It's stinking hot. So I'll forgive you for, uh, for not wearing the shirt. But um, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Roman. Happy to be here. So Matt, let's, uh, let's dive straight in. Um, it, well, difficult, where do, I, where do I start? You know, Matt, you're a, you know, you're a phenomenal athlete. If I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, you're a triple springbok, right? Uh, four sports, actually. Four, four sports, so what are those? Break, break it down for us. Swimming, water polo, uh, sprint kayak, life saving, actually five, uh, and, uh, and surf ski. Five, how, do you know if anyone else has kind of can lay claim to five sets of Springbok colors? I got no idea. I'm not really into counting, to be honest. It's <laughs> not, uh, it, was never, it was never anything I built my ego on. So I, I really, <laughs> I, think I find it's a privilege to have done so many different things because it's, it's been, uh, it's allowed me not to ever think of myself as any one of those things. I watch so many other people you know, identifying with the sport that they're doing and I find it, in my opinion, limiting. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. And they all sort of just happened, you know, water polo just happened because I could swim fast. I couldn't play water polo at all. I sort of learned how to play it. Life saving when you evolved because I could swim and, and it made sense to learn how to do the rest of it because I was in front of the swim legs and then couldn't, couldn't paddle a surf gear around instead of camp. So I learned how to paddle a surf gear. And each thing just kind of organically evolved into the next. There wasn't ever any, any sort of goal or agenda or direction. Huh? Yeah. Just a lot of it seems to be in water. So I'm obviously happiest when I'm, when I'm floating around in, a, in water. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of people who are going to be listening to this can identify with that, you know. Uh, we, we did the K-Point Challenge yesterday. And, and, and as a side note, hats off to everyone who did that race yesterday. It was insane. But I think those of us who thought we were comfortable in water probably were questioning that. Uh, we, we had a cuddle that course yesterday. But I'm, I'm, enjoying what you're saying. I'm enjoying what you're saying there, Matt, because my, my next question for you is, is why surf ski? I mean, with five Springbok titles and with most talented sportsmen, you have a selection of sports you could choose to, to you know, to excel it, why, why did, why Surfski bubble to the top and seem to be the one that you've consistently kind of chosen to stick with? Um, I don't know that it's at the top. Um, I, I, I've gone through different stages in my life, different things have meant, I've kind of had a, I suppose I, I was a swimmer first, uh, was, that was my priority for a long time. Um, that was driven by an obsessive childhood and a, obsessive mother who I love dearly who <laughs> used to drop me in a swimming pool just to get me out of her face every day and then my competitive instinct just kicked in every day in the stupid pool which I don't think I was born a swimmer I don't think I've got any special talents at it I was just more obsessed than the kid next to me and it's, it's that obsession that kind of just carried on evolving into everything else but um, 
I mean, it was, it was really a natural progression. You know, you get good at swimming, so suddenly you're swimming, and then all of a sudden someone introduced you to a swimming race in the sea. Uh, I like that. That was far better than the pool as far as I was concerned. So now suddenly I'm swimming in the pool and in the surf and the, and the sea. Then suddenly there's races where they finish a swim and then we've got to pick up something else. And now I'm not any good at that. So I'm like, well, you know, obviously there I've got to learn how to paddle one of these boards and paddle a surfy and... It was, yeah, it was really a very, very natural progression. It was just, I guess what I, I did right in hindsight, and it wasn't the journey design, was that I, I was obsessive about each thing when I did it. So when I did do it, I gave it a large number of hours. And, you know, when you give something a large number of hours, it's, it's no brainer. You end up being relatively successful at it compared to the rest of the population. But it's, yeah, just, there was no design at all. Um, at the moment, um, I, re I recently gave a, a lot of thought to Sersky and, and I was getting a little bit depressed actually. I'm sitting very tired of Hank beating me constantly and I was either, either going to have to up my game and start training really hard or I was going to give up and just stop, stop getting beaten. But then, uh, you know, the whole choice actually I sat there mulling it over a bit for a week or two and it, that wasn't the reason I was paddling. You know, if I, if I was just paddling just for... The, the position that I finished in a race occasionally, then by my own guidance in life, I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And I was doing it for external acknowledgement of validation from others, which is really not what the sport is for, is for me. And within one minute of getting out there in a proper win, I know why, why I'm out there. And I know why the sport's so damn important to me. It's, 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 Damn close to meditative, eh? I mean, it's, it's, it brings you into the now like nothing, nothing else. I mean, all my other sports do it. They, they, they've got that element when you get to a certain, a certain sort of uh, space where you're hurting uh, and you're, you're drawn into the now. But seriously, you, just, you can do it for an hour. You can do it for two hours. And it's, it's more about the environment than you, you know? You don't even have to be going that hard. You just, you know, you lose yourself in that, that left, right, left, right, left, right. <laughs> It's, it's, it's peaceful and it, it brings a lot, of, a lot of peace to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up in him. How, how, how do you balance that? I mean, you've mentioned as a kid, you're, you're more obsessive, more competitive, perhaps. How do you balance what you've just said, which resonates strongly with me? And, and, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're, you know, if there's a race going on, you can pretty much count that we're going to see you on the beach lining up to do that race. So there's obviously a, a strong competitive side to it as as well. So how do you balance that Zen moment that you described with the, the competitive side? You obviously enjoy the competitive side and you enjoy doing well because you're not just out there doing downwinds. You're training bloody hard yeah. and you're rocking up with a, with a performance in, in mind, it, it looks like, from the outside. I've, again, something I have given a lot of thought to recently. Um, I think, like anything else, like human beings, all of us, whether, whether we're playing a violin, we're singing soprano, we are an exceptional mathematician. Any sort of human excellence requires an incredible commitment, huge number of hours. And, and once you've invested that sort of time in something, there's a proficiency and a beauty that comes to it. There's a, there's a natural spiritual thing about it that really is. You know, I mean, you can see it in any person who's spent thousands of hours, tens of thousands of hours doing whatever it is that he does. There's an incredible calm that comes with it. And, for me, not only is the discipline of surfing or the discipline of swimming something that I've spent an incredible amount of time doing, but competing is also something that I've spent an incredible amount of time doing. So 
there's an incredible peace for me competing. I'm as, as odd as it may sound, and you know, I going into that place where where I have to dig inside myself and search myself, and I want to quit constantly, but I don't. I love that. I, I love being there. I love that space. I find that a privilege. So, yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> I'll contradict myself constantly during during this interview. I'm sure I, I am a I am a, a paradox and a, a yin yang, and I understand that, and, and I'm grateful for it. But it's like, you know, I I hate pedaling in flat water, but man, I love racing in flat water, and it's, it's I just I love being in the ocean all by myself, and then I love being in a bunch with ten guys that I love and respect, killing each other, you know, <laughs> to the point of vomiting and, and passing out. It's, both are completely different and completely just as rewarding as each other. Yeah, I guess you could say there's a there's a Zen moment. There's a, a, a Zen out of all of those. You know, you find what it means for you in that moment, and it means something different and fulfills a different need each time. But uh, something else you mentioned, which I found I found interesting, is you, know, you said you you know you're swimming in the pool and someone introduced you to the ocean, and then after the ocean, there were, you know after the surf swim, there was something else to pick up. It sounds like you're attracted to learning new skills. Like you find something that you're not good at and that does that draw you in and make you want to pick that whatever it is up and put those hours in to master it? Is there a challenge in, in, in the learning curve for you? I thought there definitely would be. Um, I have recently decided not to attract too many new things to my life. Um, just because they're kind of taking me away from those that I do love. Um, I was, I mean, I was doing kiteboarding and stand-up paddling and foiling and this and that, and, and I'm still toying with a couple of them. But it's, but it's they, they do, they detract from you, you know. Sometimes, you know, it's you don't have as much time now. At, at, in the latter stages of life, you don't, you don't have the thousands of hours available, and every hour you spend, I put the hour I spend with a kite around me, there's an hour I could have been doing a downwind. Uh, and I'm no longer doing it. So it's, yeah, it's, I don't know why I did it in the beginning. I, I, I'm not sure if it was, if it was the mastering an art or actually, I think probably, unfortunately, I could, uh, it's probably more of an obsessive compulsive need to compete as a kid. Um, now in the last stages of my life, I, I, I do, I value them for different reasons. And, and you're right to actually mastering, the, mastering the action and the, I mean, I was just, I was paddling the other day. Well, <laughs> paddling a lot of other days, but I was, I was paddling about two, three months ago and I, I started moving my hands around my paddles, just up and down the shaft in different places and different things at different, during different intervals and different intensities. And I, I mean, it completely changed everything that I thought I understood about the way I held my paddles. And, I, and now this is after 30 odd years of paddling. You think you kind of know how to hold the paddles. But you don't. You know, we, 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 we think that our human brains are, are clever enough that we, we can grasp the dynamic, but we can't, man. There's just, there's just too many variables. You know, the, the human brain literally, you can't even imagine all the variables applying to, to the thing. And it's just, I think that's wonderful. And I, know it's, I get more joy out of taking it to something that I, that I am proficient in, I have a proficiency in, because it's, it's all kind of like, it's groundbreaking stuff now rather than mundane beginning learner stuff. And if I were to go learn how to play a guitar, I'd love to do that. But, you know, it's not really as enjoyable as, as taking my paddling or, you know, something that I'm proficient at to a whole different level. It's when I'm leading the thought process of it and another one, I'm, <laughs> I feel like a beginner. 
So it's the two are different. Eh? You you can feel you get a different joy out of it, something that you've been spending a lot of time with. Yeah, I think I mean Matt and I were talking before uh, before we started recording, and uh, one of the things Matt said was, you know, it's a bit of it's a bit of a cliche, but a lot of truths come on a cliche that the the more you know the more you realize you don't know. And I guess that's what you're saying right now. Is as you've got to this expert level in, in Servski, it's opening up a world of how much more Servski could actually be if we just get out of that, perhaps that coaching mindset uh, and more into that receiving mindset of looking and realizing there's no sacred cows and everything is, is up for experimentation and testing. Absolutely. And Servski in particular, I mean, I, I, I find Servski... Almost, we're almost on page one, and we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what what, our, what we can do in, as far as equipment goes, and, and really understanding the the way it works in the ocean. I mean, I, I think the last few years have been a bit regressive for for downwind paddling. Um, we've seen we've seen the evolution of the boat into this really fast canoe-like creature, which is symptomatic of the fact that we're racing round and round in circles constantly and we need these boats that are fast on flat water if we wish to you know if we wish to compete and win on them but they're not the fastest boats for downwind and i don't think we've even you know we've actually gone backwards i think some of keith's earliest boats were probably still the best downwind boats right we've, we've got right now and then and until there's a focus in that direction it's you know well it won't get addressed so it's interesting. Let, let, let's talk about equipment a little bit then. Um, you know, you've you've had a long-standing relationship with Epic, and we'll unpack that in a, in a, in a short moment. Um, and you know, we've only ever seen you in Epic boats. But what do you what are you looking for in a surf ski? And let me kind of add a follow-up question onto that. And if you were to change what is currently out there, um, and and with a downwind focus, where do you? kind of think we you know obviously reflecting back to what you said we don't we don't know where we're going there's so many variables out of there but in terms of what you do understand at this point where mm. would you go to make that ideal downwind surf ski what are you looking for when you're evaluating a surf ski look oh it's trial and error man. there's a that theory is is wonderful and it's and, and we all postulate we all have opinions and, and i've got a i'm fortunate enough to have built a couple of boats in my history we, we've We've actually built things from scratch and designed a few things up. And we've, I've, I've had a share in a, in a company that builds surfboards and, and life-saving boards. And, uh, so I've been sort of hydro-minded, you know, sort of uh, design-minded for a long time. So I have a lot of thoughts on the matter, a hell of a lot of ideas and directions which I'd love to test and love to try, but none of them are... Are certainties and in fact it's it's kind of you know it'll be really monkey throwing dots at a dartboard kind of thing more than no matter how much knowledge is out there i've seen how much of it is really just trial and error and unfortunately when you're building a whole damn surfski and it's expensive you know i mean you got to bring out a prototype and, and get it to the point where because for me to really test a boat and say hey this is something it's got to be comparing apples with apples so you've got to give me a lot carbon fiber boat now to build a light carbon fiber boat you've got to finish the molds and done everything right and gone through the process in the factory and it's it's an expensive and slow process so for for any sponsor that's it's almost not worth it you know, for them financially just yet um i think maybe as technology changes i mean as soon as we can push print on a on a cad file and, and literally have something printed out of out of a material that's gonna that's gonna be realistically you know simulating what we've currently got in the production thing then it gets damn exciting, you know, and you can start changing all sorts of things. But, you know, to head down that little rabbit 
hole and 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 in the, in the directions. I mean, things like the foils. You know, we haven't even begun to see foils on the outside of the boat. You know, if I'm I've been talking for years to guys at Epic and, and to other people about putting little little kind of FCS fin plugs, like a surf, surfboard fin plugs on the outside of your board. And you you just start slotting these little tiny baby fins, kind of like cardboard fins, things that you could you could alter the angle of them, slightly trim them. You can change the shape of them, change the length of them, change the position of them. I mean, we could take a we could take a V14, which is arguably designed more for flatter water, and without adding volume or changing the thing, just by the foils, I can completely change the dynamic of how the thing's going to behave. You know, and, and you and really what you want to be doing out there is understanding how, when you want the boat to dive, when you don't want the boat to dive, how you want the boat to lift, when you don't want it to lift. You can you can play with foils. That's one way of doing it. You know, to reinvent the whole wheel and come with a whole new Thing, that's another way to do it. I don't know which way is right, but uh, I, I get excited thinking about it. Um, and that, these are just little, and when I'm talking foils here, I'm, I'm talking sort of like a fin, almost like a surfboard fin type of foil, not a, not a hydrofoil. Um, the hydrofoil is a whole different topic altogether, and I'm, that's almost the holy grail. I look at that stuff and what those guys are doing with the stand-ups on the, on the hydrofoil, and I'm, geez, that, there you go, that looks like a sport that's worth giving Ten thousand hours to me. If I, I'm just waiting, <laughs> trying to trying to hold off a bit, wait for the technology to improve a little, and then I'll, I'll probably delve into that because it, man, doesn't that look magical? You just you watch Kyle Lenny and you watch him doing those those things for hours out there. I know he's got a jet ski following him, and I know I understand all the challenges. But man, that thing, you get that right, I, I can't see me coming home. I'll just <laughs> head off. Matt, I couldn't agree more. I've, I've, I've been trying to master this SUP foiling, and I'm just calling it SUP failing for me at the moment. And uh, we're pretty blessed here in Cape Town. There's a downwind we do every single week, and we've got uh, Nate Van Furen, uh, who just came yeah. to the Kailani in, uh, in a couple of the Hawaiian crossings. Uh, so we, we're getting to witness firsthand this guy's evolution. And, um, you know, not too long ago on this particular downwind, the surf skis are doing well if they break 40 minutes for this downwind. Uh, Nate on his foil in exactly the same conditions has just broken 30 minutes. He's 10 minutes faster than the faster surf skis. And by that, I'm talking about the yeah. likes of Kenny, Kenny Rice uh, is who he's beating, you know, and uh, Stu McLaren and a couple of other guys who probably are a bit embarrassed by it, but they shouldn't be because it looks incredible. I can't wait. Surf ski on a foil? I know there's been some, uh, you know, Revo's pushing the, the boundaries on a couple of things here and kind of trying to play in that, that prototyping space. Um, you know, they've just got a, you know, kind of their first stab at it. Direction within that hydrofoil on a surf ski, where do you think we're, we're headed? And is it a route we should be chasing? I think once you're up on a foil, a foil is a foil. And it doesn't matter if you've got the USS Enterprise or, or, a, or a surfboard or a surf ski. Um, once it's up on the foil, you, you want less rather than more sticking around the air and, you know, making it balance. So, I don't know that a surf ski is ever going to ever really be ideal because it's it's you don't really you don't have the same ability to pivot like you do on a surfboard. You know, you can you can shift your weight so quickly and so easily with a surfboard, or something standing on a single a single hydrofoil. Whereas if you with surf ski models and all the kayaks that I've I mean I've pedaled that Nello foil before and I've I've seen what Greg's doing at Revo and it's also very exciting and I, I like it. But you've got two foils which is twice the drag, twice the admin, twice the stuff. Compared to one fall, philosophically, I think the, the one fall idea has just got a hell of a head start. Um, I might be wrong, and, and then maybe they will. And 
it's probably easier. I mean, you think about it, with surf skis, you can get more speed, so they may be easier to get up on, but getting up on doesn't look, doesn't seem to be a big problem. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that, for me, I think as they, they play with this foil, they tweak it, they get the ratios better and better. Um, they start to address maybe a, a type of foil that's better for bigger people because I'm not the skinniest of humans, but... Uh, uh, yeah, it'll be something I'd love to try. I'd love to see where it goes. I, I see that as the ultimate diamond thing right now. Yeah, it certainly looks magnificent. It's, I, yeah, if I if I master that ever, and uh, yeah, I can almost see my surf ski gathering dust. Um, that looks yeah. very. Well, why would you want to do? Why would you want to do anything else? But um, let's shift the conversation a little bit. Um, I'm I'm something I'm always curious, and I've asked a couple of the other guys that we've um, that, that I've spoken to on this podcast. And one of the one of the factors I want to put you to put to you is body type and surf ski. So one of one of my favorite examples is involved yourself and Jasper Marker. So for a long time, you guys are both epic athletes. And Jasper for a long time was paddling the V14, and I know now might move to the V12. And Jasper's Jasper, apologies. What are you five six five seven? Jasper's not the tallest guy. And on the other side of the equation, Matt, we've got you at what six seven something somewhere there to very, very different sized human beings and wingspan and so forth. But for a long time, you guys were both paddling the same boat, both doing well in the same boats. But logic says to me, one of you were in the wrong boat for your body type. So is, is that a valid point? How, do you, how, do you, how, did, how did that work? How does it work? Yeah. I, I have some very definite opinions on it. Um, I don't know how that based more on experience than any, any sort of, well, there's a bit of science in there too, but there's, I don't know that I've, I could be proven wrong, couldn't be proven wrong. But um, I think there's, there's absolutely cross for, for body types. Um, and I don't, think we're, I don't think we currently have a big enough spectrum for the different body, body types. I do think that the bigger people have an advantage. I think that the bigger people have an advantage in almost every sport, um, almost, through leverage and stuff. And if you look at a kayak, well, by, by having the ICF limit the length of a, of a K1, they're effectively prejudicing the larger paddlers. And for my, in, in my opinion, the best, cat, the best and biggest and strongest paddlers in the world are all in the K4s. And those guys, if you took away the minimum length distance in the K1, you would see a completely different bunch of humans winning the K1s. So I'm not sure why the ICF limited to a certain thing. I, I know they, they always purport to be doing something for the name of fairness, but if, you know, if, it's, if it's prejudicing a certain bunch of people and, and benefiting another, how's that ever fair? And, and I think in Surfski, you don't, we don't have that. You know, we've got this open category where you can do what you want, and I think that freedom is is why you're seeing the bigger guys sort of a bit more dominant. Um, also, in a diamond, you, the bigger guy again, we've got more momentum, and it's a little bit easier for us to to ride a run. Um, we probably need a little bit of effort to keep, a little less effort to keep going, stuff like that. So it's it. Definitely better to be bigger, um, but like you say, you've got a Jasper who doesn't seem to be struggling too much. I mean, he's, you know, he's making it work for him. Um, Michael Booth, Australian, great little paddler. You know, there's, there's a couple of short guys that, that they make up with heart and, and, and aerobic um, conditioning, with what they lack in, in leverage and, and muscle power. So it's it's nice. It's, I think it's a wonderful for me. I think it's a wonderful dynamic, and I think it's hey, you know, bring your Bring your sword and, and come to the fight, and it's it, it's it allows everybody to do that. It allows everybody to have to have a go, and it's it's nice. And I mean, like again, it's the same thing. Probably you know, a little guy perhaps 
on a, on a bike sprint running around playing and accelerating, decelerating, decelerating, accelerating, he's probably got an advantage over a bigger guy, maybe, because a bigger guy's always is accelerating and decelerating. So it's, it is, it's an, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I've had a few conversations about, about it with Greg, um, Greg DeBayer from, from Riva. Greg, I uh, enjoyed my conversation with Greg. He's, he just, he comes at it from such a, such a wonderful angle of the thought process and, and the math and the science and, and uh, I think Greg wishes he could just push prints on a prototype every day and, and make something to test. It's, it's, his mind is probably more, more hamstrung by the, the, slow, pro, you know, the slow moving of, of prototype development than anybody. Um, but, I mean, he's brilliant. And he, he talks about, you know, the wetted surface area and how the bigger and heavier you are, you're sinking more surface area into the, into the the water and you're going to have more drag so and we've actually just sat down and we've done a few equations and shown you know with every kilogram over a certain thing you need a certain amount more kilowatts to to produce the same speed um so with the boats being the way they are but that's why his boat and the, the current revo is is, is targeting the, the, the planning philosophy and he's saying you know if, if we get it if we're using a planning hull we're getting the boat out the out the water suddenly you've got this 300 kilowatts versus someone with 250 kilowatts, but now you've both got the same dragging area, suddenly the guy with the higher end kilowatts has got an advantage because he can get a bigger planing area out the water and onto the plane and sustain the plane with, with less energy. So it's, you know, it's just, it's endless. It's endless. There are endless variables to it, and, and uh, I don't think you could definitely, definitively give an answer to it. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's nice to know that it's, we haven't even scratched the surface. So I'm just realizing now as, as I'm listening to you, you talk, and, and yeah, I've, I've got to know Greg very well as well. I had a similar conversation, so I, I echo your sentiments there. But uh, I've had one or two conversations with Greg, and, and only one or two. And if you know Greg, that's quite a few, that, that's hardly any conversations um, about paddles. And um, we're not talking paddles. So there's, you know, there's a whole range of paddles out there. but doesn't seem to be from my side as a surf ski guy, as a bit of a fish and chip surf ski guy, doesn't look like anyone's really pushing the boundaries on, on paddles. I think I'm ignorant on that topic, but let me throw it to you. Am I missing something? What's, what's happening with, with paddles? I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think we, we're like, we're paddling bicycles with single gear system. If, if, a, if a cyclist and triathletes are having single cog gear, you know, gearing, Sort of on their bikes now. That's what we've got with our paddles right now. We we should be able to to touch buttons on our paddles, and the length of them should be able to go longer and shorter while we're paddling. Um, you know that alone would, would just it'd be like a gearing. You as you turn into a headwind, you click down. As you as you turning on around, you click longer. But it's got to be smooth. It's got to be the same way you're changing gears on your bike. You know, and engineering. There's an engineering challenge there, but it's. I literally spoke to a few engineers from SRAM, the SRAM bicycle company, uh, a few years ago when I was in Hong Kong. And I was staying with one of the guys. And I mean, these guys came up with three or four ideas in one afternoon, you know, and, and they were mind boggling to me. And this is with them having no paddling background, just being engineers for the bicycle company. And it's, it's doable. It's so doable. It's just, there's nobody pioneering it. You know, I don't know. I don't know how feasible it is financially. I don't know. I mean, if you were to take over the whole paddling market, you know, 80% of the market could call it what Bratcher's share is or, or the Flatwaters too. I don't, know how, I don't know how big that market is. I don't know if it warrants, you know, engineering department like, like the bicycles do. And maybe 
that's what it's going to take. And for before the sport does evolve into something like that, maybe we need to get to that sort of critical mass. Um, but the, yeah, in the paddle of the gears, it's just one thing. The, the, the materials that we can go for different things. Uh, we've how many pairs of paddles we got? Probably I don't know, probably twenty, maybe thirty different shapes, just a couple different sizes of each. Like it's not really much, is it? But yeah, I, I, I mean, I've paddled with a lot of different paddles. I, I love changing paddles. I love, for me, it's like, it's, edu it's educational. It, it, you know, the muscles got to fire in a slightly different place. Sequence is slightly different. Uh, it's slightly different in a little nuances, so, but they, they allow you to use your muscles differently. You know? Some need a little bit longer drag, some need a shorter drag, some need a bit more power, some need less. Some are, sometimes having an understanding of both of them helps. Sometimes you can force a, a teardrop paddle to, to actually paddle a little bit further like a, like a parallel blade. And, and sometimes when you fatigue on, on your, on your you know, front cache, you're switching to the sudden longer stroke with a blade that can do it. And as long as you have had the paddling uh, experience with the parallel blade, it's, it's doable. And it's, it's useful to have that. And you, you're tired with one, you start fatiguing, boom, you just change to a slightly different angle from the muscles and suddenly you, you feel like you're energized again. That's, that's, we, 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 we were talking, you know, the, the, the surf ski earlier and putting, you know, little FCS spin, uh, FCS spin uh, plugs onto the boat and changing it so you can kind of change, you can almost rock up on the beach on the day and, 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 and fine tune your boat to suit the day. To some extent, we can already do that with our pedals. It's not a big thing, but you can change your pedal length, shape, those kind of things. Do you do, you do that? Do you arrive at a beach, erase the conditions, and kind of select your, your pedal for the day? Or have you got a shape and you know it works and that's what you go with every time? I swap, I'm swapping my shapes around a lot. Um, but I've, I've got two, there's two pedals that I pedal with at the moment, two shapes. Um, the lengths will change on the day. So I'll, I'll look at the conditions and see what they're doing. I, I actually usually change it during the warm-up. Um, not a hell of a lot. Um, probably vary at most 20 mils. Um, so usually about 15 mils is, is kind of my, my window where I'd like to be. It, it makes a difference, huh? That 15 mils, there's no doubt. It, it, there's maybe 10% placebo, 90% reality. <laughs> backwards and forwards. So what? Um, let me let's get specific. So what brand of paddle are you pulling, and what distances are you? What, what you know? Let's get for the guys that are really kind of looking for snippets of, of data they can work with. What length paddle does a six foot seven elite paddler use? Well, my, my sprinting blade, just to give you some context, in the K four was a two twenty five, um, two twenty five Bracha one max, which is a beast. Um, but you can't pull something like that for anything but you know, 880 meters and, and hopefully the last 120 your friends drag you over the line. So it's, it's, that's what it's for. And then I tried for a long time to, I mean, I, even, I scaled down to 18, Bracha one still in the surf, but I was kidding myself. My ego was just wasting, wasting race opportunities for me. Um, it took me a year or two to, to accept that and then, and then go smaller and smaller. Um, I now use, I mean, I have a combination. I train on a different size blade. Um, I race on a different size blade, depending on the conditions. And I also mix it up seasonally. So it's just, just because I like the different stimulation, I, I literally change between completely between, between the blades. I like the, the old Van Dusen, which was, um, which is a young Turks gamma. Um, quite a, I think Rutch's got a copy. Everyone's got a copy of it. I think 
Epic won't cop anything for me, um, which to their credit. Um, they are building new blades now, um, which Greg, um, Greg tells me that, uh, yeah, he tells me they're going to be very similar to Van Dusen, but, but they've got his own little twist to it. Um, Greg Barton, sorry, not Greg mm. Um so I'm constantly, you know, talking to Epic about it, but they haven't, they haven't been too concerned about my need for, for, for constant blade testing and new blades all the time. I mean, it would be feasible for them to, to entertain me. It's got to be whatever's you know, selling in their, in their blades, sell and work for, for 99.9% of people. So they don't, they don't bother indulging, but I am excited to, to try one or two of those ones soon too. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that the thing with pedals is, is everybody should try different ones. Every, I, would, I would advise anybody who's, who's got more than a thousand hours in them of paddling, you're at a level now where you can, you know, you can start to discern and, and decide if you like something or like something about something. Um, the, the change is, 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 I think, also prevents an injury, to be honest. Um, I think just a... You know, pulling at a slightly different angle, a slightly different way, it just keeps your shoulders fresh, keeps the, the connection between the, the lats and the, and the, I don't even know what they're called, but the bottom of my armpits. You know, the, those little things, they, they're always behaving slightly different, firing slightly different sequences. And it's, I love that. I love that chain. I always, I mean, I could, you could close, I could close my eyes, you could put the pedals in my hand, and I would, I would tell you straight away what I was trying to pedal. That that's interesting. That's that, that would be a lovely test. I'm I'm fortunate enough to uh, to have a couple of different blade shapes. I'm not sure I could tell the difference, but that'd be a lovely test. Actually, you've uh, you've you piqued my curiosity. A blind wine tasting test. Let's do a, a blind. Although anyone who's actually tried to paddle in anything else but flat water with your eyes closed, you realize how how much of a balanced test that would be. But you mentioned Epic a couple of times, and I want to circle back to that. So Epic, I, I haven't fact checked this, so I don't know if it's right, but let's just say that Epic internationally on the kayaking market so that surf ski touring kayaks uh, you name it i think epic is by far the has the, the lion's share of the international market and i think the the rest of the manufacturers kind of fighting for the for the smaller portion after that um your relationship with epic goes back many many years so how, how did that start and 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 what's been the secret that you've that you've been able to stay with epic for for so long has that not been frustrating for someone who seems to enjoy experimentation yeah it, it it is, but they, they indulge me. Um, I mean, they, they've been incredibly good to me. My, I'm, I'm more of a relationship person than I am a, I don't know, it's odd to say, I, I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm very much an individual, but I've, I, seem to, I seem to value loyalty. It, it matters to me. Um, and our, our, they've been really good to me over the years. I mean, Oscar was the guy who, who, who sucked me into the fold in the beginning, because everything Oscar did was the best. And uh, yeah, uh, he was he was right though. You know, the boats were always good. Um, I, I was sucked into them by Oscar, but the boats kept me. Um, and I don't know if I. It's an interesting question. I don't know. You know, you're right. It's probably it probably is stifling the the curiosity and it probably is stopping me from, from testing a whole lot more things. And I don't feel like it's, it's a problem because, um, I really love my B14. I'm so damn comfortable in that thing. I, 
I almost don't think I'll change too much. I'll just add onto it. I'll keep it as my my core for anything I need to change evolve. I'll just add volume to the tail, add volume to the nose, or add some foils and, and do some things. But um, man, that bucket is just so nice on my butt. And I used to have all sorts of dead leg issues and problem here and problem there and chafing. That little epic seat of mine. I, I, <laughs> If I was going to change boats, I'd, I'd take my seat with me. Now, that's for sure. It's just too—it's too comfortable. I couldn't—I couldn't go anywhere without it. And it's—I um, love the boat, man. I can't seem under. They've had some changes recently. They've had a lot of changes, um, and they—they're more adventurous now. They're more—they're more open to to some experimentation. I've got a good relationship with with Charles and with um, with Greg and with the factory with Tyrell at the factory. They're all great people um they indulge me a bit they've, they've built little awesome little testing things we tried a little k1 um surf ski which was basically the, the k1 legacy turned into a surf ski put the v14 cockpit in it and then it's the most beautiful boat one uh robin that i've ever seen it's <laughs> it's exquisite like you look at this thing and you just want it to work and it just for some reason it was just like 0.8 of a k slower everywhere on flat water, it was slower than the K1. On the surf ski, it was slower than the surf ski. It don't, and it might have been just my body weight. It might have been you know, the weight dynamic. It could have been a few things. So speed-wise, it didn't work. But it's got to be the most beautiful little thing I've ever seen. Mate. Well, I, 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 don't think, uh, I don't think many people will uh, disagree that Epic probably builds the most beautiful boats. You know, they're conservative. You know, they've got their, their, their color scheme. They don't move from that. But just the, the finishings are simple. They work, and uh, they're really... They really do look absolutely gorgeous. And by the way, on, one, on my list of people I want to talk to on this podcast, so far it's just been paddlers, but one of the people on my list is Greg Barton. So you're going to have to hook me up with his contact details and uh, we're going to have to invite Greg on here. I think also Greg from, uh, from Revo, he's had, a, he's had a guest appearance, but it'd be interesting to get these guys going on here. But I'm also interested, you know, Epic, Epic any manufacturer, as you've mentioned, you know, has got a financial, you know, they've got to pay the bills. So to go too experimental and spend money there on something that doesn't work doesn't make financial sense. And certainly Epic seems to have certainly stayed in the safe fold. You know, the, I think the most radical boat they built, they produced in, in recent times was, was perhaps the initial V12 and, and maybe the V14 to start with as, a, as an elite paddle. But their V10s and V8s and so forth are very much, you know, easy hop in and paddle for almost anybody. Um, if, if Epic doesn't have the financial muscle and the, and the, and the goal to get experimental, do you think we're ever going to see kind of any, any, any experimental stuff coming out of, of any of the manufacturers if Epic's not able to do it? Do you think there's a, they think there's the will to make this happen? No, I don't think it's, I don't think that they, they don't have the will to do it. It's just that they're conservative about the way that they do it. Um, they've embarked on one of, I mean, for example, they, they went down the road of the pre-preg, you know, the layout route where they, they went set up a, whole factory in the Philippines, which was a financial, a financial failure. Um, but the boats that came out of those things are, are Rolls Royces. I mean, I got one in Cottonwall at home and I, I'm so sorry that the thing didn't work out financially because I, I think those things, that's the way forward. They're wonderful, you know, for, for Epic to, to, to human me is, is a completely, complete financial expense almost. Um, Almost all our athletes. We, I mean, I they told me the numbers. They told they sold V14 GTs around the world. I think they sold 14, something like that. 14 of them. You know, they had to give away 
20 to athletes, team athletes around the world, and they sold 14. So sure, they get sales and, and a turnover from from the V8s and the rest of the brand that is associated with the 14. So it's it's not just a direct, you know, apples for apples comparison for them, but. It is, you know, it's a difficult one to quantify. You've got to sit and go, like, almost indulging us is, how important is it? I don't even know. You know, they've, they've got to have a passion for it. They've got to, they've got to enjoy it. And they are doing it to some degree, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe the, these radical different boats are going to, I think, to be honest, I think the sport's heading in a direction where we're going to end up with two sports um, or two different communities. Um, I don't see it down when, paddling getting the attention that, that the downwind paddling people want right now from it. And I think as soon as you see a, a very specific downwind community, you're going to see the craft evolve for that. So, you know, in much the same way as, as the you know, people use the analysis of the analogy of the downwind uh, mountain bike versus the cross country. Um, just two different ways to ride a bicycle, two different ways to ride a surfing. Um, Neither one's right nor wrong, um, but both both very very definitely have very different requirements as far as the equipment goes. So it's um, when that happens, I think you'll see a, a need for all these guys to be performing in a diamond properly. Um, it'll change something. They'll, they'll have to develop ones, you know. Same same way they all came up with this recent small version um, to fit in the European cars and the European garages. That, all the brands have had to come out with a, a small version that, that can compete and satisfy the European needs as well. So that's the recent, <laughs> the recent change has been more driven by road rules, European road rules, than it has by any any sort of real need for for maneuverability in the ocean. It's quite odd, isn't it? It, it is odd. There's actually I come from a yachting background, and there's a there's a, a yacht, a, a small dinghy called the Mirror, which is designed. The reason it's the size it is is so it could fit on top of the mini. It was part of the design criteria. It was a competition. So yeah, some strange things to shape this. Um, how much input do you have into Epic's design world with what they end up coming out with at a, at a, in, into the market? How much of how much Matt Bowman is in the V14 or the V12 or the V10? There, there has been quite a lot of it. Um, I don't know if with my ideas, I mean, the ideas eventually dissipate in. And, you know, I mean, I I maybe talk to. I used to talk to Oscar a lot. The two of us used to talk a hell of a lot. And there were a lot of changes that came to the craft that the factory told me Oscar's made a change and then it was exactly what I wanted. So Oscar and I will have to have a discussion as to exactly who owns the, the, the rights to those changes. But it doesn't worry me anymore at all. I mean, I don't mind getting no credit at all, to be honest, as long as the craft changes and, and evolves. Um, and, and recently, yeah, I'm constantly talking to, to, to Greg. I constantly talk to the factory. Um, there's no sort of formal structure, you know, it's more, and again, you know, how can you, you, you can't, I can't substantiate my opinions other than, you know, they're all subjective. It's just based upon, you know, what I'm feeling, what I'm, what I'd like to try. And to be honest, I mean, you know, to come, I, I find one of the biggest problems with all the manufacturers, Epic, as well as others, I don't like the way they're constantly reinventing the bill, coming from scratch. They constantly go to a new CAD file, and they start again. I'm thank God they're plugging in the bucket in the cockpit. But I mean, effectively they're starting again. You know, whereas I mean, the kind of refinements I'm talking about on my B14 not only something that I can tell you because after after a thousand hours, and hey, you know, I want it about a little foil here. What about a little more volume here? Or move this, move the cockpit seven millimeters forward. They're, they're tiny little changes, 
You know, and, and I, you can't tell from a CAD drawing prototype or even after 20 hours where a boat at. You, know, you, you can only tell, I mean, this is after racing the thing. I don't even know how many hours I've got on it, but it's, it's in the thousands. And it's, and it's racing people that, that I know and understand constantly. You know, and, and how do you know the change is working? How do you know? Well, only if you're testing it against a variable, something that's constant, like maybe Hank, you know, who's, who's always at the same level. You know? And it's, that sort of feedback's important. And you've got to be cognizant of your level. And that's a, don't just go on the result. You also, it's a very, very difficult thing to work out, you know, even when something's working or not. So it's, it's hard for me to take to ever get any sort of solid idea either. And that probably frustrates the hell out of them because they're looking for something binary and saying, hey, try this, do that, which is probably why they like this. And when I said put a, put a K1 on it, you know, put a D14 top on the K1, please. Because that's, that's simple and easy. And they go, oh, great, you know, here it is. Does it work? I mean, oh, no. Doesn't work. <laughs> well, having said that, it didn't work from the perspective with which I began the thought process, which was to make a faster boat. But for them, actually, the boat is working. It's a great boat in Asia. And apparently, there's a lot of Asian guys that are much smaller. They, they're struggling with the tilt. And on, on, even the V14, they just got too much, too much points, too much boat out of the water, too much losing, too much water line. So this little guy is, is working for him. So, you know, failed for me, but the boat actually works for Evan. So it's just not, just not the intended purpose. Um, you, you made that analogy of the uh, mountain biking world having split into, into cross country, downhill, and uh, a couple of other divisions, and that Sevsky is potentially looking in that direction. And if I, if I remember speaking to Mark Lewin many years ago, and he was telling me, that in the back in the day, and I, I couldn't give a date to that, but guys would rock up with three or four surf skis on their roof and they would select a surf ski for the day. Whereas today we go down with the one surf ski we own. If we own another one, it's probably exactly the same, maybe in a different construction or, or older. But we've all got the same, the same surf ski and we're expecting that surf ski to kind of m cover all conditions. So I agree with you when you say we've actually gone a bit, a bit, a bit backwards. It, you know, so do, are, are you... I mean, do you, do you bring different boats to the beach or are you pretty much as your V14, what you're paddling, whether it's flat water, diamond, big surf, small surf? You know what, we, I mean, even the manufacturers understood that the way you've just said it for a while. And, and we were talking to Epic and Epic were like, look, you know, we're going to have to get you two, two racing boats, two training boats. And that was the plan. But it's expensive, huh? Realistically, it's damn expensive. For one guy, no problem. For two guys, no problem. But when you've got to try to keep a whole team of people when that sort of books, it's it's crazy expensive. So even the manufacturers have kind of steered away from that, and they're all kind of making this hybrid boat, which is best of all worlds more than anything. Um, I, I was postulating the other day with Greg DeBayer about the, the the we were dreaming, and we were talking about the planing boat, the planing hull, and when and if you get to that perfect plane, and how exact is it, and how small is your margin for error, and you know, we think it's really quite precise. Like you really, you know, as soon as you get too much, I mean, if you literally think of it, the bottom of a boat as a, a certain amount of square centimeters and, and, it's, and you literally have 10 or 20 more square centimeters, that should be a radical difference. And, and depending on the condition and depending on how quickly you need to get up and how long you're going to be sustained by the ocean, that, that ne the need for that thing will change, even for the same human being. So the same guy with the same weight and different conditions We'll need a different boat. And we thought one way, possible way to solve, well, you know, it was Greg's idea or mine? 
Craig, I'm going to pretend it was mine somehow. But uh, we were talking about, like, you know, literally rocking up, and we have a, a carbon fiber slide, if you will, that will literally clip onto the bottom of, of your boat. And that slide will, will be yours. You know, it will be your template and your decision for that day. And on that thing will have, have things like the concaves, uh, channels, um, foils, all sorts of things that, that specific, are specific to you, things that you enjoy, you like, and also giving you the surface area for the conditions on the day. You could then have the same hull and the same body of, of craft with, with all these slides, literally, I mean, the things, I'm talking five mils thick, you know, it's, a, it's five mils of carbon, even less than five mils, three, four mils of carbon, as long as it's rigid and structured made of pre-preps. And you're just pulling them out of your, your little slide box, a you know, two-meter box sitting in the back of your, your boot. You, got, you could have 10 in them, different things. And, you, and with the 10 of them, you suddenly got, now, now you've got 10 different surface areas of which your boat's going to be a part of and race on. It's like having 10 boats. So it's, you know, just sort of that's our thought process is, is where we were heading. I mean, that, that also came after a lot of watching. I don't know if you've seen much of the surfboard design lately. Um, those Tomo surfboards and, and Slater's Firewire surfboards and, just the advancing hull designs that they've had, particularly in the last four or five years, and, and all just such basic one-on-one hybrid, you know, dynamics. It's just for the first time being applied to recreational and surfing surfing world and working. That's the crazy thing, and working. And so guys are like, you're seeing the effect of these things, and you're going, my goodness, you know, like straight edge, straight edge does make a difference. And it's like, well, no, you just make a straight edge on the boat. I'm like, and everyone talks about it, but you know, there's always this resistance to like, well, it costs money to go and make the straight edge thing now, and then this and that tool it. So there's a resistance, but this way we'd be able to just make all these all these different slides and just constantly be changing it. And it's it's it's, it's got me excited. I, I, I think Greg Greg was liking the idea too. Um, I don't know which one of us owns it. But. <laughs> So that, and it's kind of like, you know, you're taking your stock standard uh, city golf for our American listeners. I think that's, I think in the States it's called the rabbit and sticking on different foils and low profile tires. And suddenly you've got a track car, but essentially it's the same, the same core motor vehicle, the same engine, but you're, you're, you know, changing the tires and putting a spoiler on here and a, and a, and a, and a splitter here and there. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? It's similar, except, but it's not, it's, it's more dramatic than just spoilers. And I mean, you're almost changing the engine, aren't you? Um, you, you're changing the you're changing the chassis. The engine's staying the same, but you, you're literally changing the chassis. But the chassis just plugs onto onto the other. You know, you've got your little cockpit where the guys seated. That all stays the same, but the chassis's changing. So you by changing that farm that little slide, you're literally changing all the surface area that should be touching the water while you paddle, which is which is a big thing. Uh, but this is assuming that we get close to, to actually, you know, feasible, realistic planing holes for the system, which is, well, I think one of the reasons that Greg struggled, Greg DeBayer from Reba has struggled so much is that it's, it's not a one size fits all um, answer. That's, that is the problem, you know? So he's, I think his boats are, are fascinating and interesting and I haven't spent a hell of a lot of time paddling them, more time talking about them, paddling them. But, I don't think, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult, hit and miss, to get you know, even more than two people on, on one particular 
molded, you know, tool and molded boat that are going to say, hey, this thing works for me. Whereas if you have the ability to change the surface area quickly and easily, I, I think I think that's the answer. Fascinating. I hope we've got some manufacturers listening here. I hope, so I hope maybe some people have got some antennas up and uh, let's, let's see. Maybe there's, um, there's a couple of guys I know and uh, you probably know who you are, guys, that are famous backyard uh, inventors. Uh, guys, maybe here's a, here's a bit of a challenge. Chop up uh, an old boat and let's, let's, let's start home prototyping and uh, feed this change from the bottom up, maybe. Uh, Matt, so... As a, this is, this is, I've got some notes here to guide this conversation, but this is going off the reservation a little bit. Um, what you're mentioning here kind of makes things, brings you back to yachting. So I know Greg DeVere from sailing. Sailing is a big part of my life. And in sailing, similar evolution happened to what you've just been discussing with different boats. And it, it re resulted in, in what we call checkbook sailing. The guy with the biggest checkbook who could afford the lightest materials and the most testing and so forth, and the pinnacle of that is the America's Cup, would normally win the races. It's a little more nuanced than that. But so what happened? Uh, a very long time ago is you had one design sailing where boats were built to a rule. They couldn't change. They were exactly the same. So it was athlete, athlete on athlete as opposed to equipment on equipment. Do you, see, do you see that being a good thing perhaps in surf ski where we're all getting on V8s and, uh, and off we go and we're all racing each other or, and then maybe having an open class where you get to bring exactly what you want. I think SUP is also already kind of headed down this, this role. Your, your, your thoughts on that? I'm a free market guy, Rob. Uh, I, I think you, you start, as soon as you start regulating things and, and imposing restrictions, you, you start squashing it. Um, anyway, we see that, we see that economically, you just, you just go to read Wealth of Nations to really fully understand it, the psychology behind it. The human brain, and, you know, and, and, and particularly a human male brain, loves innovation. It loves to, to create and to, and to extend its ego. I mean, you and I, we want to rock up, I and mean, you know, I want to have my boat, and I want to adjust it for me. You know? And it's not only it's an extension of my thought process, it's, 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 it's mine. You know, it's important. You, you, you see this everywhere. You see this in, in bicycles. You see this in, in motor cars. You see it. It's, it's, why would you try to squash that and stop it? You know, it's, it and I mean, you look, at, you look at the sailing, for example. I mean, America's Cup. Imagine they said, no, 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 no more changes. We're not going to change from the single hull uh, where we are now in the 80s. I mean, look what we would have missed. I mean, you go, you go watch those America's Cup things now, and it looks like something out of you know, the future. I mean, it's unbelievable. The foiling, the, the control of those foils, the way they work, it's just... Now, without them having done that, how far behind would, would we even have a foil stand-up thing? Would we? I don't think so. Probably not. So, cardboarding has changed, stand-up's changed, everything's changed. All as a result of allowing a thing to just go. And sure, money becomes a big, important part of it. But I don't think it dominates it. I don't think it makes it un, un, unattainable. It just, it just becomes a part of it. Personally, I, I, would, I would like to see less regulation, less, less prescription, and, and open it up more. It's, it just, I, I feel it's, it's, it resonates more with human beings. It's, they, they feel they get a lot more joy out of it and it's, it becomes a lot more personal. Let's, let, let's take that exact topic and, and, and move along with it. So, um, Matt, first of all, I, 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 if anyone who doesn't know, Matt sits on the, on, on the CSA committee and, uh, and is actually influential in, in, in shaping our sports. And thanks, and uh, Matt, thanks very much for taking on that thankless role. In fact, all the guys who, who volunteer and do those, uh, it's a thankless task and uh, it's appreciated. 
Um, but uh, I started on an email chain with Matt as well, and there's some robust debates around regulations and, and legal liabilities and event organizers, and it's a heavily difficult, nuanced uh, area to, to work within with so many different needs of so many different event organizers, regulators, government bodies, peddlers. It, it's, it's, wow, it's a Pandora's box. It's very, very difficult to manage. But Matt, you know, you mentioned you're looking to see less regulation and so forth, and I, I know you've, you've been fairly vocal about um, the regulation of Serbsky from a safety equipment point of view and conditions and, 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 and so forth. And you've also mentioned now this, this potential separation, which I think is a fascinating idea where we've got, for example, dedicated downwind divisions, races and, and awards, and who knows where that goes versus let's call it for now around McCann's racing. That's probably being unfair to it, but you know, a, a slightly a more controlled and safe, safe setting. What, what does Serbsky look, what does the ideal Serbsky look like, Serbsky scenario look like for you in, in the future? Where would you be happy to see it go? Um, sure. Um, it is, as you say, you add one human being on his own has a lot of fun. Two humans can have fun, but they, they can also fight. Three humans, four humans, five humans, suddenly we call it politics. The more humans involved in something, the more perilous it seems to become. And, and nobody ever seems to know why. Everyone's in it complaining about it, going, oh, why is this going? You know, it's, a, it's just, it's like we make our lives so difficult just because we have different opinions. Um, I personally am, am just in the favor of of less regulation for people, not because I don't think people should be intelligent or mindful or safe. I just think that it should be less of a prescription thing and more of a knowledge and, and you know, a cultural thing. So there's, in any culture of respect, and certainly most ocean-going cultures, and you use surfing as an example, there's zero regulation in the world of surfing. You know, yet there's an incredible level of, of aptitude um, and self-regulation. You know, a guy knows where his boundaries are and, and he gets a hiding every time he pushes and plays with them, but he kept, carries on pushing and playing with them in his own little way. And it's done, I think, intelligently, but organically, not, not forced. You know, you, you suddenly come, like, Sersky, uh, for example, at the moment, you know, we've got these prescriptive rules, these tick boxes, hey, do this, do that. And if you do this, you will be safe which for me is actually almost dumbing down our community because we're getting, we're getting more and more people you know, attracted to the sport and trying the sport and coming in from different avenues. They've got more and more stable boats. They're paddling from, from safer and, and easier uh, learning places with less and less uh, wave zones to go through. So the whole process is becoming quicker. And we're, we're enabling these people to the point that they actually feel that if they've ticked the nine boxes, they're actually safe and good to go, which is not the case. You know, and we're, we're, miss, we're missing some certain, some simple fundamentals. I mean, the top of my list for safety is something that nobody likes to see because it will squash the numbers. But if you can't swim to the beach from wherever you are, you shouldn't be there. That's, it's that simple. And I, I don't paddle anywhere that I can't, I don't feel I can swim to the shore from there. It's not that it has to be an easy swim. It can have to be, it can be a horrible swim. But if you can't swim to the beach, from where you paddle every day, every week, whether it's in a racing environment or, or just in, you know, your weekly routine, you're taking a risk. And, and I'm not 
I don't believe I have the right to tell any other human being how to live their life and what sort of level of risk to have in their thing. But I can certainly tell them what I'm thinking. And when they see me doing a down and, and they think, oh, well, I'm going to go do that too. And I'm, like I say, my, my, it's not got anything to do with my paddling, actually. It's got more to do with my swimming. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I would, I have never been in a place where I've gone, oh my goodness, I couldn't swim to the shore from here. And, and I don't think anybody else should be either. Now that, would that limit the number of people? I don't know. I don't, I don't think it would. I think it would just change their patterning habits. I think you'd see people sticking closer to shorelines a lot more. Um, I think you'd see people paddling in doubles more. Um, it's, a very, it's a very challenging you know, thing to do. It's a very challenging dynamic to be involved in. It's, it's, it is, like you say, it's thankless. You, you're always upsetting somebody whenever you remove a rule or add a rule. So it's, it's not something that I actually I enjoy being involved in at all, um, especially with my outlying ideas. Um, yeah, the, the current system, I've, I've got a lot of problems with it. I don't even know if we need to get into it. The details are kind of not really that important, but I, I just, I don't like the idea of us perpetuating a culture of, of average and mediocrity. Um, that's not what Surfski was about. It was always about challenging boundaries and, and, and pushing your own limits in, a, in an organic natural way the same way surfing is and it's it's no longer that and i, I fundamentally have a problem with that i guess yeah it's a it's a it's a, it's a really difficult one i mean that that zen moment you spoke about with with, with surf ski and adama where we started this conversation you know is something that is hugely important to me and a massive part of what i of what i want but there's an there's a there's an economic world around surf ski which brings all kinds of legalities and this and that and sponsors and all kinds of things but just adds these layers and layers and layers on which just brings kind of ever increasing complexity and as someone who runs races on my side it's infuriating as, as hell that i have to enforce regulations that legally keep me somewhat protected but rob the sport that i love of some of the magic that i love for trying to walk that road down the middle is is it's very difficult and someone's got to wear different hats but that that is a that is a, a huge topic that we've uh, i think now is not uh, where we want to get into um and uh yeah i'm perhaps one for uh yeah perhaps one for another time let's leave it at that but matt moving on i just want to kind of circle back to some of the the more traditional topics and that obviously folks are going to be very inter interested in your how you actually as good a surfski paddler as you are I mean, I'm living in Cape Town now, but I spent a lot of time in Durban, and I would very, very seldom share training orders with you. I think I saw you on Blue Lagoon once or twice. But I very, very seldom see you training. Are you part of a squad? Do you train alone? Have you got secrets here you don't want to share? But where does, where does Matt rocks up at races and kicks ass? Where's Matt doing his homework? I think Matt did his homework as a teenager. <laughs> most, most, of it's, most of it's done. Um, yeah, I, I don't train as much these days. Um, that doesn't mean I don't train. I still love it. Um, I'm, I'm still, my daily routine still involves paddle almost every day. Swim most days. I surf a lot. I'm constantly in the ocean. I'm in, in the gym. Um, as far as in paddling goes, I'd say I paddle 95% of my own of my paddles. Um, and I love it. Like that, I really, I just get so much joy and so much peace out of it that it's, you know, almost waiting for somebody to, I don't know, to do something else and have their own opinion and want to go left instead of right. I just, the ease of just hopping on and heading off and there's no thought process. It just, I, I just sort of, it's all automatic. I just do it. It's, 
it's wonderful. It's liberating. I do I do train a lot on, on the Lemercy Lagoon still. I do a lot of flat water paddling up there. Um, I got a group of um, older gentlemen. I like to call them the Olympians. I got Charles Lessees and Andre Pohl and and between them and, and a few golf balls and tennis balls, we, we end up finding a, a nice balance where it's, you know, it's all fair and love and war and we, we end up all hurting each other. So it's, it's a completely different dynamic to where I would have found myself 10 years ago. And, but I, I love it. I love, I love the company. I love the, I love the people that I, I do it with still. I always have. I, I still do. Um, it'd be nice if Andrew get off his butt or you know, some of my, my older friends because I, I, I love hurting myself with them. <laughs> a lot, and uh, but they they're also in different places in their lives now too. You know, they they got families and businesses and things, and you know, making it out to the mercy is is not always convenient. I mean, especially if Ant lives on on Blue Lagoon. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a what a privilege, for Robin. What a, uh, to be in a space where I, I don't need I don't need people to come training with me, and I'm perfectly happy. And if I got anyone coming, I, I love I love everyone's always welcome. Uh, literally anybody you and if you want to come see where I train give me a shout when you have it really I'm happy to show you my fish eagles happy to show you the mercy they're going the, the Andre and Charles will, will, will challenge you no end trust me you know, it's a yeah I, I just find myself in such a good space bro. I'm, I'm so happy so privileged so so lucky bro <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I did right or to deserve this but I'm, I really am in the happiest place I've been in my sport in my whole life, and it's and it's lasting. It's it's long. The longevity just seems to go on and on, and it's it's a privilege. I think we could I think we could dive down the philosophical rabbit hole quite easily. You know, where does happiness come from? Is it something you achieve or is it something you make yourself? You know, and you can have it at any point in your time. But let's put a lid on that straight away because I think we'll hijack the uh, the whole podcast talking talking about that. Uh, Matt, you're obviously in fantastic physical shape. You just you know you don't seem to have an ounce of body fat more that's necessary on you. Is nutrition a big part of your of your day? It is now. Um, it never used to be. Uh, I used to I used to just swim sixty k's a week, which kind of took care of any anything you ate. But as I've as I've gotten older, I've yeah, I've learned a lot. You know, nutrition is, is certainly a big part of it, and I, I've become just as obsessed with my nutrition as I have with everything else in my life now. Um, I don't know that it's critical, in my opinion. I feel it's it's huge, uh, and, uh, and uh, I think as you get older, it, it makes even more difference. You know, just just making sure that you've got that recovery stuff there, the, all the nutrients and, and stuff is, is available for your body when it needs it. It just makes it easier for it. Um, I've also I've also on that note, I've gone I got a lot of I've got a little yoga room here at home, which I I roll a lot. I had some very serious back problems when I was sprinting in the K4s, and I've, I'd actually damaged a disc and went through some some dark days dealing with it but um i managed uh, basically my whole problem was ignorance and it was a lack of understanding of physiology i was a moron and i was doing dumb things and uh, you know any any challenge that that was presented to me i would i would meet it and face it and 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 beat it and if it meant breaking my body in the process that was fine uh, and that's just dumb and, and I, i'm completely the opposite now and if i'm saw or have a problem, I tend to get it sorted out. And, and my routine daily involving my yoga room and, and my stretching is, is a big part of that. Stretching is, is huge. You know? I'm, I'm able now to touch 
you know, my, my hamstrings are, are wonderful. My, my hip flexors are great. Everything's well conditioned and well looked after. And it was never like that when I was paddling fast and when I was strong. It's, I, wish it, I wish it had been. Yeah, I can't do any of those things. Does that mean I'm paddling strong? No, I wish I wish the I wish the equation worked that way. I've actually I've actually just been dabbling into yoga myself, but uh, aside from making the class laugh, it uh, wasn't wasn't it wasn't too successful. Um, the um, you mentioned there about meeting a challenge and uh, kind of rising up to it. So I just want to you know use it as a very tenuous hook into the question of handling the surf. And I don't think I've ever ever seeing you take a swim no matter how big the surf is on the way in or the way out you always seem to make the surf zone look easy hank has a habit of doing the same as well the difference between yourself and hank is i've seen hank swim how how is it that you know the surf is random i mean it's not random we've got riptides and these are good life-saving background and you surf and all those things absolutely help but there's a luma set out of nowhere you've lined up you know at some stage you're going to get it wrong however the likes of yourself never seem to get it wrong. And I'm drawing absolutes here, which are not true. But my question to you is, how can someone like myself, some of the guys that are listening, what, how should we be approaching surf getting out? Let's talk about that. And we focus a lot on getting out, but I want to put a lot of focus on getting back in. So many guys can get through the back line, but they invariably broach and they're sideways coming onto the beach. What can show us, tell us if you can, and in this kind of audio setting, how to handle surf and a surf ski? It's not magic. Just just do it, repeat. Do it, repeat. That's it. You just you guys have gotta start looking for surf. And you know, I, I train from Schlange every day of my life. I don't care what size the surface I go out. And I not only do I just do I do it, I love it. I actually love I love that challenge. I love that that way of starting my session. I love the negotiation of ocean. It's for me that's that's half the it's half the zen, it's half the value. Um, it's one of the reasons I can't stand the idea of, of us racing from you know backline starts and, and stuff like that. It's just the, the word surf ski, you know, surf ski. It's, it got, why would we take that away? Why take that element out of it? It's, it's you go down to a race of pirates and we had another day. It was huge, and I mean every everybody was excited afterwards. You know, the, the surf element was just it's a wonderful thing. It's it's and it's it's sadly disappearing. It's I think everyone should. And for downwind race, we should always start from the beach and always finish on the thing. And people will need to start doing it more. And, and you will do it more. Um, I suppose I take for granted how many times I've gone in and out of the ocean in my life. And I mean, during the days of, of surf lifesaving, especially with my Ironman training and that, I mean, I would go in and out. I must have gone in and out of the ocean. Jeez, I would say 15 times a day, you know, at least through the surf zone, and you times that seven days a week with a 70, it's, it's 3,505 times a week, 56 weeks. So that's 5,600 times a year, you know, for, for 30 years. It's, <laughs> that's a lot of times, Robert. So it's, it, it is, I mean, I, I, I take people for paddles and doubles and they, they, they don't see it and they, they, they always squeal and make little noises and they, they're going a different direction to me, but to me, it's very obvious where, where I'm going. I'm, usually, I'm actually quite conservative with my lines in that motion. I'm quite, I'm quite patient. Um, I, I don't see them as risky at all. So it's just, it's just a perspective and a way of seeing it. And it will come. Anybody who wants to get it, you just spend more time in the motion. And a nice way to do it might be to get yourself a life-saving ski. I don't know if you've got a around the can ski, but that's, you know, those are the best because you fall off and it's easy to get on. But you, 
you're going through the basics very quickly. You know, you firstly you're not scared of coming off. Like I don't mind coming off. It doesn't worry me. I, I wouldn't I get a little bit nervous on that you're saying you've never seen it. I'd, I'd like you not to see it then. But other than that, I, I do. I fall off all the time. I'm just I'm not scared of it at all. It doesn't worry me. And if if it does happen, it happens hell of a quick, and I'll bounce back on like rubber because that's kind of what I was so used to doing. You know, around, I mean, most Ironman de-surf races, it's a, probably a 50-50 that you're going to roll, roll the ski in under a wave. And if you're going to roll it, you want to get back on straight away. So the more you do that, the more you learn. It's just, uh, just repeat, man. It's, yeah, I'm, it's the fine part. I 100% agree. I, I love, I've heard you say it before, and I've repeated it as well, the surf and surf ski. Uh, certainly there's a... There's a, a, a local race here in Cape Town that I'm the custodian for while the actual organizer is away. And we had a, we had a drama because it was big surf. And the recommendation was to move at 50 meters, 100 meters up the beach where the surf was flat. And, uh, you know, your words echoed in my ear as the race organizer, I had some pressure to do that. And I was like, no, it's surf ski. You know, let's, let's get into it. And certainly it's practice. Hey, there's no question. I, I, I love your idea. And certainly after that particular event where we had a couple of issues, uh, it bubbled up to the surface straight away where guys were saying, let's get those spec skis out because number one, they're bulletproof. You're less likely to break them. So you don't have that financial cost of having a swim and, and, and surf skill. And that's what it is. It's, uh, with all due respect to, my, to my, my adopted home, Cape Town, which has got a fantastic paddling community, we don't see a lot of surf in Cape Town. And you do see, I'm generalizing here, but you do see some of the Cape guys struggle more in the surf than some of our Eastern Cape uh, uh, brethren here. And, and uh, hopefully no one's going to take that uh, 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 too personally, but yeah, yeah. Personally, I think the, the surf aspect of it is absolutely fantastic. Matt, I want to I want to draw this to a close, and I want to ask you what's what lies ahead for you. You know, you've uh, you've had a great rivalry with Hank over the years. Um, I think by your by your own admittance, Hank has had the upper 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 hand. But you have won a tremendous number of races, huge number of titles. How do you stay motivated? What does the future hold for you in in competitive surf ski? Um, well, surf ski is, is going to be a part of my life. I think as long as I'm, as long as my body is capable, um, I absolutely adore it and love it. And I find it a privilege. Um, self motivation is not that difficult for me. Um, I love doing 2000 time trials and I, I love not many people like that sort of thing. I do. I love it. I find it zen i get just as much zen going down to the to the lagoon now and doing myself a 2000 time trial all by myself is i find it invigorating so i i don't think motivation is a big deal and i'm you know being in the same town as hank has been wonderful for me um as much as as we may not always get on um we put ourselves in a difficult environment and having an individual who, who doesn't quit uh, you know, as an adversary, as a privilege. Um, without him and without, you know, the level that he's forced me to raise myself to, I, I wouldn't have got to where I am. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. And I still find him as a source of, of motivation. Um, he's, I may not be beating him right now, and I haven't been for a while. But I think in our whole life, if you had a whole swimming and the nippers, I'm probably ahead. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just shape it in a perspective that makes me feel better about myself and... Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I love, I love rocking up to a race with less. I mean, I don't train maybe as much. I don't have the same V8 engine that I perhaps once had. Had, but damn it, I got. I'm still still here to race, and uh, and I'm and I'm not making any excuses. So I, I really genuinely find the challenge even harder, and, it, and it's 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 even more rewarding. So it's it's yeah, it's, 
Uh, not lacking motivation. Eh? <laughs> might, might, might we see Matt Bowman putting on, putting on an event that kind of paints the picture of, of what you see as Serbski? I don't know that I want to be a long-term race organizer, but I would certainly love to be involved with, with, with creating a new type of, of event for the sport. Um, and then maybe, maybe if that means being an organizer for one or two, so be it. Um, I really, yeah, I mean, I've got some firm ideas. I, I think we're heading, and I don't think we need to discard the current models. I, I just think that there's room for a different model too. And, um, you know, less boats, less worrying about safety, um, more use of technology to, to present it to your audience um, live. Um, but yeah, very different model. Ten, 10 people maybe on the line. Um, got cameras on everyone's boats, two or three cameras on everyone's boats, two or three drones. And less, less infrastructure organization, less, less time spent dealing with the politics and the people because you've only got 10 people and they're signing an indemnity anyway. And yeah, it's more about packaging that for 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 an online live presentation rather than rather than entertaining them for for twenty four hours as it may be kind of. Uh, I don't know that it'll work. I think it will. I think it will create an aspirational element. I think I think a lot of guys who paddle surfskis would love to see what we see to see the race the way we see it. You know, I mean, when you've got an amazingly tight diamond and there's three or four boats in it. Damn it, it's fun, dude. It's unbelievable. You know, there's an hour of lead exchanges that just never end, and, and it's just a, a one-hour arm wrestle. And if, if we package that right, I know people are going to want to see it. And it's, it's, just, it's just, our ocean is so sexy and so spectacular. How can you, how can you get it wrong? You know, you know, for us to not, not have our sport incredibly well-presented on the world stage and, and all over the place, we're obviously doing something wrong because it's, it's just done in the most beautiful and spectacular environment. It's, it almost doesn't need us to do much. So it's, it's a special sport. It's a special sport. It's a privilege to be a part of it. And it's, it's, it's something we just need to think a little bit differently. Of, you know? And even perhaps, maybe even if it's not my, my idea, you know, just, just some different ideas rather than the same old status quo, status quo. Yeah. circles, 200 guys on the line. It's, you know, it's nice, but it's been done. Very interesting, Matt. I think you and I need to have a conversation about, about that as well. Um, but you did something similar. I'm just, I know I'm trying to draw this to a close, but I just as you were talking there, and I think I may have the term wrong, and I, I think maybe was it early 2000s, late 90s? There, was it Ocean Warriors, something along that? You guys paddled from Cape Town to Durban or Transcar Coast. There was some project. I forget the details. Yeah, that was completely different. I mean, that was life-saving, Ironman-based sport, and it was it was very similar to, to the Australian life-saving mold, and it was pioneered by Julian Taylor, um, the local Durban Surf uh, resident and, and guy. He's a, he's a dynamic guy who just took a sport that he loved and, and, and presented it in a way that, that he felt would be sexy and viable as a business, and he was incredibly successful with it. He, he did amazing things. Um, yeah, you just see, you just got to get a, an individual that I think that wants to run with it. I mean, sport, sport is not special. Tiger Woods is not special. You know, there's nothing special about Michael Jordan. Only time that people become special is, is when there's this aspirational element to other humans, when other humans want to see them, when want to believe they're special. Then they become special. And, and there's, a, also, there's all sorts of things to that dynamic. You know, I mean, it's, it, it takes... Uh, it takes a community. It takes first. It takes an understanding of the sport. Then it takes certain people. It takes organisers to 
to, you know, to find the motivation. It's, and, and you also got to have the individuals. The individuals are probably, to be fair to, <laughs> to all other athletes, it's, it would probably be the least important thing. You know, I mean, if we're just really a commodity. That's that's just got to be presented and packaged in a way that that it's it's commercially viable and and entertaining to other people, as almost all sports have become. It's, it doesn't mean I won't still be out there doing a down on my own, even if nobody wants to see it. But uh, geez, it'd be nice to to take a, a couple thousand people with me, you know, along the trip from their living room. I know they'd enjoy it. It's certainly. You know, same way I enjoy watching Tour de France. I love looking at France. I don't, every July, I, I travel around France. I don't want to go to France. What for? I go to do it by helicopter in the most beautiful way every year. And, and if somebody could just do that with Sersky, it'd be just as entertaining. Matt, a fantastic concept. I actually really keen to unpack that further with you. But Matt, it's been a fascinating conversation. It really, really has. Um, you know, the whole concept behind uh, the SA Sersky podcast is to get to know the man behind the pedal. And uh, I, I think we've done that somewhat justice. So there's no way we can uh, get to know who Matt Bowman is in, in an hour or so that we've been chatting. But I think we've, uh, we've kind of lifted the lid a little bit. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your, your candid and, and honest uh, conversation you, you've had with me. And uh, yeah, really, really appreciate you, you uh, being a part of this. So guys, you know, I think this is a podcast that uh, hopefully you've really enjoyed. Uh, as always, I hope we've managed to help you while away some hours. Perhaps you've been doing a road trip or you're sitting in traffic getting to work or uh, maybe you're just uh, drowning out the noise in the office there. Or maybe you've been listening to this while you're paddling uh, and uh, hopefully Matt's uh, giving you guys something to think about and uh, especially I think perhaps uh, have something to think about in terms of our personal skill level and how that translates to our safety uh, over and above the safety equipment, our attitudes and our physical preparation and skill level and uh, how that uh, factors into, into uh, the safety. I think that is hugely important. For me, the biggest piece of safety kit we have is uh, what's between our ears. So Matt, thank you so much. Will, can, can I get you back on this podcast at some time in the future? Absolutely, Robin, it's been a privilege. I think, uh, I think it's great that, that you take the time to, to give the sport uh, stuff, you know, the sort of attention that it needs and deserves. And I, and I appreciate it and I'm sure a lot of other people do. So thank you. Yeah, th thanks very much. It's, uh, yeah, it's nice to get that feedback. Brilliant, Matt. You have a fantastic day. Uh, what's it, 110% humidity or something in, uh, in, in Durban right now? You're probably going to get hit back in the ocean. Uh, for me, public holiday means nothing. I'm back to work after this. But thanks so much for popping in. And uh, we'll catch you next time. And guys, thanks for tuning in for, uh, for this podcast. Uh, look out for the next one. We're hopefully, we're going to get Greg Barton onto here. Greg, if you're listening, I'm trying to get hold of you. We've got Bridget Hartley lined up. I'm trying to get Ann Stott lined up, which is uh, Matt's great... Uh, great partner and they've done a lot of paddling together we didn't unpack that as well so we've got some some fascinating characters uh, lined up to talk to you so until then we'll, we'll catch you later cheers that's it guys that's a wrap i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did tune in next time for all things paddling with sasurfski.com